I know I say this almost every week, but it is such an honor to be here with you this morning, whether you're here on our campus or, or watching us online, participating online. It, it is just a, a great thing to be able to gather together, to be able to uh, sing songs of worship to the Lord, if you're a singer, uh, to be able to uh, be able to fellowship together, pray together, to be able to study God's word together. And I'm really excited this morning because we're kicking off a new series. We're calling it All In. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at what we're calling a stewardship series of what it looks like to be all in with God. Because after all, he's all in with us. And, and we'll unpack that a little bit uh, as we get into the message this morning. But I want to start because when I talk about a stewardship message, my guess is since it's not a word we typically use, that many may be saying, well, what do you mean by stewardship? And I want to give you a definition. Charles Bug, that's his actual name, uh, in Home and Bible Dictionary, he, he defines stewardship this way, Christian stewardship this way. Utilizing and managing all resources God provides for the glory of God and the betterment of his creation. When we look at what God has given us, you know, our time, our talent, our, our treasure, you may say, well, I don't have treasure. Anything you have is treasure. Treasure. In our testimony, God gives us that. He blesses us with these things to be a blessing to others and ultimately to glorify him. When we boil it down, stewardship is managing what the Lord has given us and used for its good purposes. Of course, understanding that all we have is actually his, as we learn in Psalm 89, 11, and other places throughout the scripture. Now, as we talk about sort of how do we manage these things, how, how are we good stewards of what God has given us, what many uh, fall into, and I don't think it's a bad thing, I just don't think it completely helps, is to put lists together. You may say things like, you know, it's my family first, and then work, or, or, or of course, God first, and then, then family, then work, and go through this whole list. And, and I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, someone may say, I'm not going to place my work over my family. And, and I agree with that. At face value, I, I totally agree with that. But the problem with a list is it doesn't always offer us a, a clear understanding of what that may look like, because the reality of it is, can you totally separate the two sometimes? You say, well, Craig, what do you mean? Well, does your work not provide food for your family? Do they appreciate that? How about shelter? How about creature comforts? And so when you say, I'm not going to put work on my family, it doesn't mean one day you go, well, you know what, I'm just going to hang with the family. I'm just going to skip work today. I mean, you can take a day off. But that's why you know, that's the wisest thing. I don't know if that really is totally honoring to God either, to be honest with you, when we look at our responsibilities and so forth. Another area, we may say this, we may say, well, I'm not in a season of service. I'm not in a season of service. Now, now that on face value, I, I, can, I can get along with too. I, I get the idea that maybe you were serving in a position, a ministry position per se, and, and maybe you're in a season in your life where you need to step back from that, do something different, or, or take a little break from that. But yet, when I look at scripture, I realize that really all of our life is to be lived in service to the Lord. All of life. Lived in service to the Lord. So we're going to be everyday missionaries in an everyday mission field. That means the places where we live, where we go to school, where we work, where we play. And so therefore, if we say, well, I'm not really in a season for service, I'd have to say, well, okay, clarify that for a minute because we're supposed to be giving a life of service to the Lord everywhere we are to be a light for God. And so, so there's, this, there's this difficulty sometimes when we put lists together of getting just confused and not really understanding what we're supposed to do. And that's not just true for people who don't know Christ. I see that often within the church itself. When in the reality, what God calls us to do is to be all in with him, which means what? He's at the center of everything. And all the hats we wear, and my guess is just like me, many of you in here wear many hats, right? And we put them in the center and then we pray. 
And he leads and guides us. And how is that even possible? Because, because this reality is, is that he calls us to be good stewards of what he's given us. He's given us these things to be stewards of his because we are to be in such an intimate relationship with him. And so what I want to do, I want to look at four truths about stewardship in time. Stewardship generally, and, and then we'll go to time a little more specifically. But, but the reality is, I don't, I don't want to get into the weeds, but I want to lay a foundation for biblical stewardship for us. And I want to begin by looking at what we call Imago Dei, being image bearers of God. Imago Dei comes from the Latin, and it literally means we're all image bearers of God. The Bible teaches that human beings are, are made in the image of God, we're, we're his metaphysical expression. In fact, the term Imago Dei comes from, again, uh, the scriptures, uh, Genesis 127, in the Latin version, uh, it says Imago Dei, but here's how ours reads in the English, Genesis 127. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This, this verse speaks to the fact that every single person who has ever existed, exists now, and ever will exist, are made in the image of God. Let that sink in for a minute. Now, by the way, it doesn't mean we're little gods running around. We need to be really careful about that. That's not what it means at all. We're not little gods running around. But it does mean that we're, we're like God. We're in the image of God morally, spiritually, our intellectual essence. As Christians, as, as we look at becoming more and more like Jesus, how can we become more and more like Jesus? Because we're image bearers of God. And therefore, we can become like Jesus, not in the fact that we all become many saviors or many messiahs. That's not who we are. We point to the true savior, right, church? Come on now. But what we do is we become more and more like Jesus in his love, in his character, in his purpose. And we're able to do that because God created us in his image. And what a powerful reality that is. You may have heard me say, if you mess with me, that's okay. You got to mess with my heavenly father. I'm his child. I'm in his image. But you know what the reality is? If I mess with you, I got to mess with the heavenly father. How I treat others matters then. In fact, remember, Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He says, love God with everything. He said, the second is much like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, he, he, he's implying there that you must understand who you are, that you're an image bearer of God. And if you see yourself as an image bearer of God, you're going to take care of yourself. And if you're going to take care of yourself, you should take care of others. And so when we treat people poorly, we're really treating God poorly in effigy, aren't we? That we should expect respect and we should expect to respect others. And it's all because we're made in God's very image and that's a powerful thing. In fact, being image bearers of God is, is the first truth. It's the foundation, foundational to Christian stewardship. We're image bearers of God. Able to reflect his love and his character and be on purpose, live on purpose with him. We read of our origin story in Genesis 2.7. It reads, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. All that exists, all that exists comes from God. He's the creator. Paul writes it so clearly in Colossians 1.16. He writes, for, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Nothing exists that God has not created. Further, in Genesis 2-7, we learn that, that man did not have life 
Until when? Man didn't have life until when? He formed some of the dust. But he doesn't have life until God breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Picture Adam, the original man, being formed of the dust, right? And there he is. I mean, Adam has hair, right? He has skin. He has organs. He has everything he needs to be a fully functioning human being. But he's not living until when? God breathes life into him. The, the psalmist declared that the, the breath in our lungs comes from God. Think about it. God literally breathed life into him, and he became a living being. He wasn't a living being until God breathed life into him. See, the importance of our next breath isn't all that obvious until it's not there for us. Think about it. When, when a person is, is doing something and they find themselves out of breath, we say they're winded. That happens to me every time I go to the gym. Winded. It's a challenging situation, right, to be winded. I've never had the wind knocked out of me. Maybe you have. Have you ever had the wind knocked out of you? If you've ever seen, if you, even if it hasn't happened to you, I've certainly in sports seen the wind knocked out of somebody. It doesn't look fun. The power of breathing is unquestionable. Mr. Miyagi, the great old sage, says to Daniel and the classic karate kid, the only one worth watching, no breath, no life. Think about it. No breath, no life. For sure, stop breathing and you die. Uh, you know, that's why when a person, I think, is even upset, when, they, when, when they're upset, what do we say? Wait, what was this stop and take a breath? Any great athlete has to learn breath control. And it leads us to our second truth. God breathing life into us is foundational to Christian stewardship. I mean, just camp here for a minute with me. Think about it. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you're wrestling with this morning. It doesn't matter what your pedigree is. The scripture makes it very clear. You are an image bearer of God. You've been made in the image of God. Does that not speak of intimacy? And not only have you been made in the image of God, but it's his very breath that gives us life. That he breathed life into us. There's a Hebrew word, ruach. It's, it, it's a word that's interesting because when we look at it, especially in the Old Testament, it's a word that, 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 that can be used to mean breath and it can be used to mean spirit. It's an interchangeable word. It's the breath that moves through everything. And throughout the Old Testament, we read of the distinct and creative agency of the very spirit of God, this ruach over all things, including humankind. It's this word ruach that speaks at times in the Old Testament about the very creation of the world. It's the Ruach that speaks of the recreation of the world after the flood. It's the Ruach that speaks of this very spirit of God that calls out the Israelites to be God's chosen people. And it's the same Ruach that points to picture to, to once uh, uh, his church will, will be created. You and I as God's church, this Ruach is the very spirit of God that allows his church to exist, calls us out, makes us, gives us life. Moses uses the word rock when he's talking to the people of Israel. He says it's the rock, the very spirit of God that delivered us from Egyptians, that brought delivery, that brought freedom to us. And it's the same rock, the very spirit of God, the spirit breath of God that still delivers people today and gives them freedom. Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, a well-known theologian from the late 1800s, early 1900s, Look at what he concluded. 
He said, the spirit of God thus appears from the outset of the Old Testament as the principle of the very existence and persistence of all things and as the source and originating cause of all the movement in life. It's the spirit of God that does this. The Ruach gives life, this divine breath. Without it, nothing would exist. And the spirit creates and, and sustains all things. We are image bearers of God who have been breathed life into. We've been created to live in such an intimate relationship with God that we're, we're image bearers, breathe life in us. But there's more. That if you're a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, what the scripture says, it's the rock spirit of God, this, this breath of life that exists within you and I. Think about it. When we say yes to Jesus, the very spirit of God, the very spirit who spoke the world into existence, God resides inside of us. What power, what strength that the resources of heaven are available to us because of this intimate relationship with God. What a difference it would make if we truly believed that, if we walked in that truth, if we got up in the morning instead of looking in the mirror and saying, man, I've got to do a lot of work before I get to work. We looked at ourselves in, in all honesty. So that God is all in with me. Now that doesn't mean that we do whatever we want and he's going to bless it. It means we're all in with him, that we're walking with him. He leads us, he guides us. But, but it means everything. To be able to look in the mirror and say that, that I've been made in the very image of God. You say, man, it doesn't look like it some days. It doesn't negate the fact you are. The potential that every human being has because of that. And now that we made in the image of God, that it's his very breath that gives us life. Like he's breathed life into us. Sometimes in the morning, we're like, maybe I should just go back to bread. Maybe you thought that this morning. I don't know. If you're thinking it right now, who knows? But well, how different would it be to, to be able to look at yourself in the mirror and say, Lord God, you breathe life into me. Breathe life into my day. Breathe life into my day. And then not to leave the mirror and like that talks over, but to realize that the very spirit of God resides in you. Like wherever you go, the spirit of God is there at work. Asking you to join in with him, to cooperate with him in the, in the ministry he's doing in the places where you live where you work, where you go to school, where you play. The Spirit of God sets us free, empowering us to live and as, as image bearers of God, to be true stewards, to reflect God's love and his character. Being on mission with him and leads us to our third truth, that God's life-giving spirit resides in the believer. And this is foundational to Christian stewardship. Why would he entrust us with the time and the talent and the treasure and the testimony because we're his image bearers, because we're, he's breathed life in us. As followers of Christ, we're filled with his Spirit. And this is every single person's origin story, whether they believe it or not. You may just be sitting here or listening online and just checking out the things of God and like, I don't know if I believe that or not. It doesn't make it less true. Truth is truth, right, church? This is truth. But if you accept it as truth, the only, ob the only obvious conclusion is we say yes to Jesus. We believe that God is, has made us and we're made in his image and he's breathed life into us and, and that there's this offer of the spirit residing in us and we, if we believe that, why would we not say yes to him? 
And knowing this truth lets us know and understand why we're even here. Why are we here? To know God and make him known, to glorify God, to be blessed and bless others. It means we want to listen to him. That's why a list doesn't always work, because a list is things you can look at that list and make a decision. What am I supposed to do today? But the reality is that list sometimes gets jumbled around because of priorities and, and life situations and needs and so forth. But when we put God in the center, we say, no, Lord God, I'm all in with you. I'm all in with you. When we put him in the center and say, God, direct my day, breathe life into my day. Then clarity, clarity is what we look at. Proverbs 16, 9. We plan the way we want to live, but only God makes us able to live it. Think about that. Even when we're doing good things, right? Even when we're doing what God's leading us to do, the reality of it is if we need to have God breathe into those things. We need to follow his lead, not ours. We don't simply want to say, God, we're going to do all these things and just bless the mess. No. We say, God, lead us in a, the way you want us to go, knowing it'll be blessed. And not just blessed so we can sort of keep that blessing to ourselves. We're always blessed for a purpose. And what is it, church? To bless others. That's what brings glory to God. Our plans won't be fruitful without the life-giving breath of God, his spirit giving, leading, empowering, and fulfilling them through us. David Amundsen writes it this way. He says, if you want your plans to succeed, you need to ask God to breathe life into them. Don't raise your hand. Don't have to answer out loud. Just, just let this sink in for a minute. I just wonder, when was the last time we asked God to breathe life into our marriage? When was the last time we, we were humble before God and said, God, breathe life into my family. Breathe life into my workplace. Breathe life into my school. Breathe life into my church family. Breathe life, Lord God. All the, 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 the reality is to allow the, the Ruach, the very spirit, the very breath of God to invade our lives, to be, to be our all in all, to, to lead us, to direct us, to strengthen us. When we're, when we're feeling hopeless, saying, Lord God, would you breathe hope into me? When we're feeling powerless, Lord, would you, would you breathe power into me? When we're feeling bound by something, remember the Ruach is the one who delivers, who offers freedom. Oh, Lord God, would you breathe deliverance and freedom into me? Believing that as image bearers of God, who's breathed life into you, who the very spirit of God resides in, has the power in, in the promise in scripture to say, I will do these things. I'll do these things. If you'll humble yourself and ask and follow. The fourth truth, since we're image bearers of God, whom God breathed life into, whom as believers, his spirit resides, we ought to steward our time directed by him. We should steward all things directed by him. More specifically, we're looking this morning at time. Seneca wrote this. He said, we always complain that our days are few and act as though there will never be a tomorrow. We... we, we Pray, God, give me more days, and yet we don't take advantage of the days we have. The psalmist proclaims in, in Psalm 90, 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, a heart of wisdom that is very spirit, the rock, the breath of God would lead us and guide us and give us wisdom and how to, how to account for every hour, every minute. Think about it. In every day, there's 24 hours, 1,440 minutes, and 86,400 seconds. 
Every one of them is precious. Precious. It's a gift. Now, there are some of those we may want to give back. I get it. But they're precious. Moments to walk with our Creator. Moments to see what God can do. Time is something we often feel we don't have enough of, yet we so easily give it away. Stewards. Using what God has given us, all things, but time for his glory. Like I said earlier, I wear a dozen different hats. Father, grandfather, you know, employer, pastor. You do too. And, and, and I don't know when this really became clear to me, but I think it started to become clear to me when, when I started to have a family and, and Chris and I ha- were having kids and, and yet there were these ministry opportunities and we would sit and pray, both of us, and say, you know, which ministry opportunities should I take? Which ones shouldn't I? You know, before that, I probably had the same list many of you do. God first, you know, then it would be my family, ministry work sort of was right there as a pastor. You, you get it, you get what I'm saying. And I found there were times that as we prayed, God said to me, you, you should go, and Krista, you should go. Go do this thing. And, and, and I would go, and I would administer, whether at a camp or, or, or doing something else, and a mission trip or whatever. And, and, and my wife, who, who's an amazing ministry partner with me, made the whole family a part of what I was doing. It wasn't something different from family. And, and they would pray for me as I was away. And, and when I would come back from these trips and come back from doing these certain things, sometimes it was just a night, sometimes it was a week, sometimes longer. The kids never looked at me and said, Dad, why did you abandon me? They said, Dad, tell us what, what happened. They've been praying. They were a part of it. I'm thankful today that in some pastors' lives, their, their kids don't like going to church. They don't like anything to do with church because they feel like their, their, their parents gave everything to the church and nothing to them. But at least at this point, some of my kids are older now, that church is still something they dig. <laughs> They're still into because they've always been a part of what we've done. You say, what, what, are, you, what are you getting at? There, there are times where, where ministry took a precedence over time with family, not over my family, but time with family. But there are times where, where family certainly takes a precedence over, over ministry, over, over my work. And you say, what do you mean? I protect my days off. Try calling me on my day off. I protect certain nights, but some nights I'm here. Some nights I'm out there doing something for the Lord. You, know, it's just, you say, well, how do you keep that all straight? It's not by a list. It's not by a list. The list just didn't work for me. It's by saying God has to be here in the center. And and all these things are sort of all around it, all these important things, by the way. And yeah, my family's more important than work, but but work provides for family. He directs me. See, I'm I'm, I'm an image bearer of God. He, He created me to be in an intimate relationship with him. He's the one who's breathed life into me. And all the things I do, I say, God, I want you to breathe life into those things. But I, I only can trust that he's going to do that when his spirit's leading me to do them. And I don't get it perfect, but God is so merciful. He's so grace-giving. That as I'm journeying with him of learning what it means to be all in and trusting in him, that he's so faithful in breathing life into those moments. And I can tell when it's 
all in on Craig and all in on him. How about you? Have you walked with Jesus enough to know that? It doesn't feel the same. Does it look the same? The outcome's not the same. Because we've been created to be as image bearers, breathed, his life breathed, breathed into us, and, and, and his spirit leading and guiding us. And when we walk in that all in, trust in Jesus, life, he does God-sized things. He brings emotional healing. He gives us strength. It's many a day. Those type of days where you say, Lord Jesus, this will be a great day to come back if you want. Ever have one of those? Where at the end of the day, I went, if it weren't for the life-giving breath of God. There's situations I've walked in, felt totally unprepared, unprepared for. Totally not gifted enough to, to make a difference. Sitting across from somebody and words come out of my mouth that are certainly beyond me. People say, are you amazed at what you say? Only when God's saying it. I'm never amazed what I say when I say it. I'm always like, what in the world? But not amazed. I, I can say some stupid things. But there's those times where God speaks through me. And I'm amazed. And I walk through the, out of those situations and go, Lord God, thank you for breathing life into that conversation. There's a lot of talk right now some of you may be keeping up on it on some of the work of God in a campus in a, called Asbury. Maybe you may be looking at revivals that are having in places like the Philippines and Nigeria and other parts of the world. And I, I, I want to say this very respectfully. Save your gas money. I've had friends go to Asbury and it's not happening like it was, but went there when it was at its height. And, and, and I'm not against that. I'm glad they went, glad to hear the reports, but but catch this this morning. You don't need to go anywhere to experience the work of God in your life. Right now, right now, where you're seated, if you believe you've been made in the image of God, and that God has literally breathed life into you, and if you've said yes to Jesus, his spirit is inside of you, that's all you need to have God transform your life. And here's the good news. If, if you're sitting here this morning, you're like, man, I believe God, I'm made in the image of God, and God's breathed life to me. But I've yet to say yes to Jesus. Guess what you can do right here and now? Say yes to Jesus. You can begin that life-changing relationship with him. You can let a God-sized work break out in your life right now. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. Pray this morning. Pray this morning. Lord, breathe life into my marriage. Breathe life into my family. Breathe life into my depression. Oh, Lord God, deliver me. Breathe life into this. In the Ruach, the very spirit, the very breath of God will do a God-sized thing in your life. Remember, it may not look the way you want it. It's not about God being all in with us doing our thing. It's God being all in with us as we're all in with him doing his thing. Amen, church? But it will change you forever. 
And again, if you've yet to say yes to Jesus, that's the first step. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. Give me life today, eternal life in you. Wherever you find yourself this morning, the great news is God meets you right where you're at. Right where you're at. Doesn't matter what you've done, what you haven't done. He meets you right where you're at. All he asks is you'll take your next step with him. And to that end, let's pray. Father God, I pray that at this very moment that we'd make the place where we're standing or seated, Lord God, a sacred space. Sacred because you're here and you're working. You're not just working in this room, you're working in our lives. But Lord God, every single one of us are image bearers. That's how intimately you created us to be able to, to, be able to express, Lord God, and become more and more like Jesus and sharing his love and his, his message, Lord God, and, and to be developing into his character. Every single one of us is only here taking breath because you've breathed life-giving breath into us. And Lord, as we say yes to you, your very spirit resides in us. Opening up the resources of heaven for us to fulfill our mission of knowing you and making you known. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who's yet to Receive you as Lord and Savior right now in the quietness of the space they're seated or standing in, the quietness of the heart, Lord God, that say yes to you. Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for our sins, being resurrected for our salvation, for the gift of your spirit that resides in us, for allowing us to do life with you, for loving us so much. That you paid that price that you didn't know. We owed it, but we couldn't pay it. But you paid it in full for us on the cross. Lord God, for those of us who have said yes to you, I pray this morning that whatever we're feeling led to take in that next step, that, Lord, we would ask that you would breathe life into it. Breathe life into it, Father. In the places we live, would you breathe life into those places? In the places where we go to school, would you breathe life into those places? And, and Lord God, the places we work, would you breathe life into those places? And the places we play throughout our community, this region, Father God, would you breathe life into those places? And would you begin by breathing life into us? For all that we seek doesn't take us driving or flying to get there. It takes us just simply putting you at the center, being all in with you at this moment. Would you do a God-sized thing right now? And when I finish praying and as we're singing, Lord, would we just respond to you in whatever way you lead us, if it's to continue to sit quietly and pray, if it's just to, to think through something that you brought to our mind this morning, if it's, if it's to stand in worship, if it's to kneel in worship, Lord God, whatever it is, if it's those couples coming together and praying, asking you to breathe life into their marriage or their, or their families, if it's a broken relationship in here this morning that we go to the other person, can we just pray that God would breathe life, new life into this relationship? Whatever it is, Father God, would we just be obedient to you? That seems like it'd be a good steward of our time this morning. Thank you for meeting with us. Thank you for creating us for this intimate relationship with you. 
thank you so much for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.